I'm Brian Shelton, and you're listening to Harper Talks, a co-production of Harper College Alumni Relations and WHCM. A common theme over the short life of this podcast is that our guests came to Harper College to either find their calling or make their calling a reality. Joe McEnery is no different. Joe had been a student at Harper, went on to get his bachelor's degree in education, and returned to Harper for continuing education. That was when he realized that his calling to help people may not lie in education, but in another line of public service work. Joe joined me for Harper Talks over Zoom. Hey, Joe, thanks for being here with us today. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. Great to have you on the show today. Uh, when we're recording this, it is a slightly sunny day in the middle of December, so it's nice to actually get some decent weather here. So, so Joe, you came to Harper College fresh out of high school and got your associate's degree, and then you went on to Illinois State to major in education. I'm just curious, what was your time at Harper College like when you were a student? What, what were things like at Harper during that time? Well, it was a while ago, that's for sure. Um, Harper was a lot smaller then. The campus has exploded and grown. The programs have certainly probably doubled in size since I was there. But uh, the decision to go to Harper was uh, probably based simply on the fact that at the time, right out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You took so many classes trying to just qualify for college that uh, didn't give you a lot of time to really explore some of the options and uh, opportunities that were going to present you in the world. So that was kind of my main decision since I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. It would be hard to pick a, a four-year school with a reputation good on a major that you're interested in until you know that major. Yeah, I think a lot of students have that problem. I, I see it happen all the time because you know I teach at the college and I, I see students, they they, uh, they leave right out of high school, they go to a four-year university, and then they don't do so well the first semester, and then they come back to Harper, and they're like, gee, I wish I had started here uh, and, and done this from the beginning. Uh, yeah, I'd say we saw quite a bit of that, too. It was, uh, you know, whether you're ready to go away or not, you know, if you think you're mature enough to handle the time away. A lot of kids do well, but a lot of kids struggle because it's the first time they're really kind of out on their own. Yeah, I know. I know. I certainly struggled the first year of college. It was certainly <laughs> it was certainly difficult. So what did you do while you were at Harper? What was fun when you were a student there? Um, mainly at the time I was uh, I was working at the water park and Elk Grove working for the park district. And then uh, I spent my first year. Uh, I had swam during high school, uh, started late swimming in high school. So then I did swim for the Harper swim team for one year uh, until unfortunately I had uh, some issues with my shoulder and it kind of sidelined me and kind of took me out of, uh, out of competing. So, but uh, you know, just a lot of opportunities to, you know, be around campus and, you know, with the, with it being a commuter campus, you always had those little gaps in between. So it kind of gave you a chance to, to hang out and get to know people and, and be involved and mainly through the swim team and sports. I worked in the athletic office a little bit too. And uh, it was just a nice way to connect to campus and, you know, make it feel a little more homey and not quite so much of a, I don't know, kind of a chore where it's got to go to school, got to go home, got to go to school, got to go home. You start spending a little more time on campus with people and it, uh, it makes it a little more like uh, when you go away to school. 
Yeah, I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make is that they just come to classes and go home. And the more involved you get, uh, the better experience you get. That's for sure. While you're there, um, so you were back in Building M back in the in the in the old days when it was. Um, boy, I don't want to be so negative, but rather prison like. Uh, <laughs> now it's quite beautiful. Have you seen the new Building M? Yes, I, I was through when I came through for the uh, the earlier interviews and such. But uh, yeah, say I, I would say maybe industrial was a good word. Spartan industrial. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, we've been back for they uh, they host several events uh, for the kids. Like my daughter competed in a uh, uh, gymnastics competition for uh, USAG that was held at Harper for several years. And it was, it was nice to come back. You knew where everything was and it was really rather impressive what they had accomplished. Yeah. My, uh, our producer, Shannon Hines in the alumni office, she might not like me saying this, but she says they like to hold alumni events in building a, the student center. Cause it's the only building that hasn't been remodeled on campus. So alumni always feel at home when they go there. <laughs> I'm sure, sh- I'm sure it's on the list of things that need to get done next. So, so, um, what was Illinois State like for you? I mean, did you feel like Harper prepared you for your experience transferring to the four-year school and kind of leaving the the nest of home? Um, a little bit. That first semester down there was uh, was a little tricky. You got to manage your time differently. Uh, again, I was I worked all the way through school, anywhere from twenty hours a week. My last years, I was actually working forty hours a week and going to school, so it was always a little busy. But uh, just the that little bit of growing up you need to do where, you know, it's like, Oh, I've got time to do this. I got time to do that. And all of a sudden you realize, yeah, you don't have time to do that. So you learn to plan your time pretty well and you learn to work ahead. The first semester was, was okay, but not my best after that. You know, you learned that if you get ahead on papers, get ahead on projects and then go talk to your professor, when you become a person on a bigger campus versus, uh, a body sitting in a desk, you get a lot more help and a lot more guidance, I would say. And you turn in a paper early and the professor says, well, right now it's an A minus if you want to work on these three or four things. Okay, well, I can work on that or I can turn it in and be done. So you kind of learn to get things ahead. My favorite semester was probably my last full year on campus before student teaching when I had all, all papers and projects turned in by midterm. And then I was able to pretty much just roll right through finals at the end of the semester with no stress and relaxed and, you know, that working hard early and not putting things off really, really paid off. And that's kind of how, uh, how I, how I live my life now, obviously when we, logged on for the interview today. I was there a half hour early. So I always say that on time is 15 minutes late. So yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. so you majored in education when you went to Illinois State. You mentioned your student teaching experience. Um, what was what was teaching like? Obviously, that's not what you're doing now. So something changed. Something wasn't quite working for you. But how was your experience teaching? No, a few things changed. Uh, I finished up at ISU, came home. I actually student taught in Schaumburg. And then I uh, was hired as a, uh, a mid-year replacement for a teacher uh, on maternity leave who then was not coming back. And uh, I taught in Wheeling for about four years. And as I started taking classes, I actually came back to Harper and picked up uh, a science class so that I could be certified to teach science. I was teaching eighth grade at the time. Just made me a little more marketable uh, because at the time I could teach English and history. And then with one more class, I could teach science. I I changed majors 
several times while I was at Harper. So I had, uh, uh, I was a little science heavy for the eventual, uh, history degree that I was, uh, picked up at ISU. So, but, um, so I was back to Harper for, uh, a science class and then uh, started working on my master's to be a school principal. And as I kind of dug into those classes, I realized that that was really not where I wanted to go with my life. You see how often, you know, the principals of schools are there. They're there early. They're there very late. They're at board meetings. They're at PTA meetings. They're at school. And at the time, you know, we were looking to have a family and I was kind of looking at it going, I don't think I want to be gone quite that much. So a friend of mine had come out to help with, uh, I was coaching volleyball and he was a college volleyball player and came out to help me with uh, tryouts. And he mentioned that uh, Elk Grove Village was testing for the fire department again, and I should uh, maybe check it out one more time. I had tested a couple times during college, but the, the lists weren't moving at the time. And uh, I said, oh, why not? Let's go check it out. And he and I took that test and we actually both got hired together. So it uh, was just the path presents itself. You take the opportunity and it's amazing how things work out. Yeah. So I think that's great advice uh, in particular to our students who might be listening that uh, sometimes you just got to take a chance on what, you know, follow what it is you're really after uh, rather than what it is you think you're after. I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but sometimes we get ourselves uh, wrapped into a predetermined path for ourselves and if we don't take opportunities as they present them, we may miss out. Exactly. Your, you know, your, your early years are guided, you know, hopefully in a positive direction by your parents. And you kind of, I don't want to say get pigeonholed, but you get to a point where it's like, this is what I'm expected to do. This is what I have to do. Well, I went to, I went to college to be a teacher and I spent all that money. Now I'm going to switch and be a fireman. And to be honest, I was almost a little afraid to go tell my mom, you know, I was 25 at the time. And yet I was like, I'm going to go tell my mom I'm switching careers. So it was, uh, was, it was a little strange to think of it that way at the time, but she was very supportive of it. And my degree is actually, even though I'm not teaching in the traditional classroom school setting anymore, so much of my job is teaching, whether it's, uh, teaching and training recruits, teaching new material uh, to veteran firefighters, teaching new ideas, uh, teaching to the public. We do a great deal of public education, or I've even taught a few classes and, uh, you know, filled in at Northwest Community for the paramedic program where they would have you teach, uh, teach skills. I did that before my kids were born and we'll probably look into going back now that uh, they're off to high school and college those uh, opportunities will maybe be uh, looked into once again. Yeah. Being able to instruct people and get them to, um, to understand how to do something and how something works is always a valuable skill that kind of never goes away. So um, I was curious, what was it like taking the firefighters test? I mean, you know, uh, as a layperson, I see things on TV and movies and things like that. Is it as difficult as, um, as it's made out to be? Uh, when I took it, it's a little bit different than they do now. Uh, so for the people that are, you know, checking out the fire science program at Harper, uh, this information's a little bit dated. But uh, at the time, each department ran their own physical ability test, whereas now they have the CPAT program, where you only have to take that physical test once and you get a little certificate that says you've passed. So that way you don't have to take it every single, you know, you're, you, you would be taking it every single weekend for a different department 
they consolidated it up at, uh, at NIPSTA so that uh, you only have to take it once a year and then your certificate's good for a year. But the physical parts of the, of the job are, I, I would say demanding, uh, but they're not uh, insurmountable. I mean, I was, you know, I, I swam in high school and college, so I was in pretty good shape. I've put on a, a bit more muscle over the years, just with uh, the nature of the job. But uh, the testing program was, uh, there was a written test, there were interviews, and then the physical test. So uh, I would say all in all, if you've been through a semester of finals at Harper, it's no less stressful than that. So, you know, you've had a long distinguished career as a firefighter in our community, and and I want to talk about that. But um, it seems like to me, the common theme running through your life is that public service was at your heart. I mean, you wanted to be a teacher, which is a public service. Some people don't think of it that way. And then you moved to being a firefighter. And I'm just curious, mm-hmm. what is it inside of you that, that, that makes that happen? Why, why is it you're so interested in that? Honestly, I'm not sure. It just, but it did kind of become a running theme. Uh, I actually started working for uh, the Elk Grove Park District uh, at 14 uh, in the aquatics programs. I started as a a pool attendant and a cashier went up to a lifeguard and then became the, you know, senior guard manager, trainer, instructor for lifeguarding and CPR and facilities manager uh, until I went away to ISU. And then I coached in there also, but it just, you find where, where you're comfortable and what you like to do. And that just kind of directs where you end up working as you go along. I mean, I had other jobs at ISU. Uh, I worked at uh, I worked at a restaurant for a semester. Knew I wanted nothing to do with that. But I, I've done other things. I, I've worked building maintenance. I've worked, you know, minor construction, like light construction, renovating, uh, demolition work uh, on the side as things came up. And I, I do enjoy the hands-on part of it. And I guess the biggest part of all the jobs that I had, I was never behind a desk all day long. And it was, I was up, I was active, I was with people and the, the idea of grinding away at a desk, uh, you know, writing code or that kind of thing just wasn't something that ever appealed to me. Yeah, I can definitely identify with that. It's one of the things that I love about uh, teaching at the college is that every day is different. Uh, no two days are alike. And so that uh, mm-hmm. makes the job much more interesting. I was thinking about uh, the public service aspect and I was thinking about as a kid, it seemed like everyone wanted to be a police officer or a firefighter when I was a kid growing up. And I don't know that I see that so much today. What, what do you think of that? Do you see that? Do you see a lot of young people coming in and saying, yes, I, I want to be a firefighter. This is something I'm interested in. Or do you feel like um, maybe the idea of that and the public service aspect of that has dropped off a bit in the last few years? I, I would say it has changed, mainly the... Uh... I think, I think kids today, this is going to sound like an old man, but uh, too much time on their phone and too much independent work and independent time. You know, you have kids that are on teams and sports. You see a distinct difference between people who are involved in activities with large groups versus small groups. Most of our uh, recruits and newer hires were, you know, in those activities and it just, just the idea of, of being part of taking care of other people and, you know, reaching out. It, it, it seems to have changed a little bit. Uh, I say the unfortunate political climate 
has uh, really hurt the police side of things. The police officers that I know, and I actually come from a police family. I was the first one to break and go to the fire department. You just, uh, they're great people. And it's the handful of bad, you know, bad single incidences that get blown up on uh, social media. And it gives the whole, the whole police family or the whole fire family a bad name. You know, we say at work, it's, you know, everything you do from now on will be watched. You are no longer, you know, citizen commits crime. It's firefighter commits crime or firefighter does this. And it seems to get, uh, get run out pretty well. But I would say that the, you know, the little kids still, still love seeing us, you know, drive through town and we get lots of little waves and they get excited and jump up and down. And that's usually the best part of my day. You know, you see these little kids that are excited to see you. Because for the most part, police and fire see people on their worst day. And to see people that are excited to see you with genuine happiness versus excited to see you because they're having the worst day of their life and hoping you can fix it is is kind of a treat. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, speaking of that, um, how's the pandemic affected you folks in, in the fire service? It's... Um... I would say it's testing our ability to uh, the kind of the motto of the fire service is adapt and overcome. And it's, uh, it's kind of tested us to that uh, pretty well. It's the biggest uh, difficulty we face are the constant changes. It's, you know, one day, this is the procedure. Now the next day, this is the procedure. And we get more Intel and more science and more information. So now everything we were doing two weeks ago has changed. Now we're going to do all of this. So it's been uh, pretty much a constant re-education so, and then just the, you know, the, the concerns, our job is dangerous, but over time through training, uh, you, you get to know how a building is going to react during a fire. You get to know your SOPs for the ambulance and you find a comfort zone with the pandemic, everything changing constantly. And there was no authority or no senior guy who's done this before to go to. So we had to lean on each other a lot and just say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to treat this like a hazmat and we're going to gear up and take our time and make sure our PPE is right and uh, keep ourselves healthy. And our department has done, uh, has done pretty well with uh, not having any real outbreaks, just a couple minor flare ups and uh, we're able to keep it under control. Has that added to the, um, I don't know, the overall stress level or exhaustion level for the folks in the fire service? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially in those early days until we kind of gained the confidence in our procedures. It was, uh, you know, the biggest concern is for all of us is bringing, uh, bringing a sickness home to your family. You know, it was bad enough, you know, you encounter people with, uh, you know, stomach flus or colds. And no matter how many times you wash your hands, you always would seem to bring it home to your family. But when you're talking about bringing COVID home, it uh, is certainly a, a, a huge concern, you know, uh, for most of the department, you know, your parents are, you know, in the senior citizen category. So now it's like, okay, you know, can't, don't want to bring this home to my mom or my in-laws and get anybody else sick. Cause you would never want to be the person that brought the virus to somebody who ends up, you know, succumbing to the virus. Cause that would just be tremendous. So it was just that idea of, you know, being so cautious and so alert to every opportunity to make sure that, you know, you weren't going to bring things home. 
So like a couple of the fellows on the department, uh, they had a, a new baby at home. So we shifted. It's my kids are older and healthy and strong. So it's like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, take the lead on this one. And we limited how many guys were going in on calls and it's say, no, you got a brand new baby at home. Let's, let's shift your position, put you in a different spot so that you don't have to uh, maybe take the chance of uh, exposing yourself. But as we got the, the PPE and everything uh, squared away and our procedures, right. We've, we've done okay. Nobody's really brought it home to their families. So we've been uh, the awareness that we started with really, really helped us to take care of our families. And we, we found a calm in the storm maybe, but everybody's still very alert because now it's, you know, you're like on a streak. We haven't caught it. So now we want to make sure that we continue to go that way. Yeah, a sign in the firehouse that says this many days without catching the pandemic, right? <laughs> so I haven't done that yet, but I might have to, might have to try that. So, but every, everybody is distinctly aware of, and nobody wants to be that guy, you know, the, the one that brings it to the firehouse or the one that really g- gets it rolling. You know, what was the, the historical figure with the nurse, Typhoid Mary, who was the car- carrier of typhus and was infecting people, but she was never sick herself. Nobody wants to be that guy. Right, exactly. You don't want to be passing it around the firehouse or to anyone else. Or, I mean, I imagine you deal a lot with going into uh, nursing homes and hospitals and assisted living facilities and stuff as well. So you certainly don't want to be the one bringing it into there. I mean, that's... No, and, they, and they've done a lot of... Uh, they've made so many changes and they, they the nurses and the, the folks at the senior housing have done just tremendous work. And they they seem to be forgotten because... You, you don't see them in the big red fire truck rolling down the street, but they've done some tremendous work to keep up the, the folks spirits who live in those, in those uh, facilities and trying to help keep them healthy. And, you know, it's, it's been rough for them too. So, so, uh, you know, pre COVID times, what's a normal day like for you or a normal day, like for a firefighter in general? I mean, I understand that every day is a little bit different, um, but tell, what's the life of a firefighter? Um, to, well, depending on what department it's, uh, our, we start about eight o'clock in the morning, uh, with a, a shift and a roll call where you hand off your responsibilities, uh, from the previous day. So you meet with whoever was on the vehicle in the seat that you were in and just trade information and find out about calls and, uh, different issues or vehicle issues or equipment issues. So that way there's always, you know, you're always ready to go. Uh, you check out your rigs, you make sure everything's right, everything's clean, everything's set in like a ready position or a ready-to-go status. Uh, usually then you grab a cup of coffee and we plot out the day with all of the crews that are going to be staying and on duty. And usually there's a schedule that includes training and uh, uh, for the firehouse especially, uh, meals are always an important thing. So everybody uh, chips in for their uh, their portion of the meals for the day, the cook plans the meals and does some shopping and everybody attends training in the morning or the afternoon. And then you flip and then whoever's training gets covered by whoever had the training in the morning. So we pretty much work a kind of, you know, an eight to five, nine to five kind of day where there are activities, whether it's inspections or pre-planning or drills that we go to usually five o'clock around five to, you know, you'll ha- sit down and have dinner. And then after five is, I don't want to say free time because that sounds doesn't sound quite right, but uh, maybe independent time is a good choice. You have the opportunity to uh, work out. Many guys are always working on new certifications or classes. 
uh, number of people are going back and, you know, finishing degrees or advancing their degrees, uh, getting master's degrees and such with the intent of getting promoted and moving up. And then around uh, 10 o'clock, you are allowed to go to sleep. Whether or not that actually gets to happen is, uh, is a different story. And then uh, rolls around to eight o'clock the next morning, you finish your 24 hour shift and it all starts over again. So how many 24 hour shifts in a week for you? Uh, we do a rotation. So it's 24 hours on 48 off. The departments have three shifts that allow you to, so uh, you work a 24 hour shift, 8am to 8am. So let's say that was Monday. So then you're off all the, the rest of the day, Tuesday, all of Wednesday. And then you would come back to shift on Thursday morning at 8am and start again. Oh, wow. How do you, oh, wow. Wow. That seems like a strange sleep schedule to get used to. It's going to be it's, difficult. It is a little bit at first, but if you pay attention to it and you kind of listen to the old guys and how they've managed things, you you get to a point where you not only enjoy it, but you count on it. There are so many things that as a firefighter, I was able to do that if I had been teach, working or teaching in like a nine to five type job, uh, I was classroom dad for my kids. I was the field trip dad. I was, you know, always, you know, if my nieces or nephews needed something, you know, I, I had that opportunity where those two days I was home. So it was, you know, kind of a neat position for me to be, you know, taking the all, taking, you know, my kids and my nieces and nephews to preschool or, you know, different activities. It was just kind of a, a neat way to make it work. So it's uh, when you get used to it and when you can, get your family to adjust to it. It's uh, it's really a neat schedule. I mean, but there are tough days. My wife puts up with uh, a lot that day that I am on shift and has a lot of things that she has to handle on her own. But I like to think that I make up for it on my two off days with the things that I take care of on that day. <laughs> Got a shared responsibility, right? Division of labor. A- absolutely. Behind every, every police officer, firefighter, there's a husband or wife who's who's holding up, holding up the other end pretty, uh, pretty tight. So takes a lot of organization. So, but we, uh, we, we seem to make it work. So you're what, 20 years into your firefighting career now? Yep. What's, uh, what's the out? What's the future? Where, where, where do you go from here? Well, it all depends on what the future holds. So, uh, I, I'm what they call it a tier one, uh, retirement. There is a tier two now that they've stretched the age and the requirements out a little bit. But at the time I was hired, you could retire at 20 years of service at 50% of your current salary at that time. Uh, but you also had to be uh, over 50 years old. So, and I'm not uh, not quite to that point yet. But uh, honestly, it'll be uh, when the opportunity presents itself, you kind of hit your benchmarks of 20 years and age and time. And you just kind of assess, you know, how the biggest point with the, the pension was that a lot of people... I guess, resent who aren't in the pension system is the pension was for jobs that uh, are going to beat you up both mentally and physically. You can't have a 65 and a 70 year old firefighter, you know, pulling hose and picking up patients off the ground. And the work is not something you can do in your later years. So the idea of the pension was that, you know, we know we're going to beat you up, but we're going to make sure you're comfortable uh, in your later years. So but for me, it'll be just an assessment of, you know, where my kids are at with, uh, with school and life and where my wife is at with her job. And as long as I'm still strong enough and able to do the job and the shoulders and the knees hold out, I'll probably do somewhere between 28 and 30 years. So another eight to 10, probably. 
thinking about going back into teaching at all? I've kind of gone round and round with it. I may sub a little bit, but the uh, the classroom has changed so much just with with Zoom and digital. I would almost feel like I'd have to go back to go back to school for a little while just to to learn how to be in a classroom again. It's certainly always a possibility. I did. I've always maintained my teaching certificate, even though uh, I've been on the fire department. It was always kind of a safety net for me that if I was ever injured to the point that I couldn't go back to the job, I could certainly then go back and you know can continue or start teaching again. But uh, it's uh, you know you just kind of decide at that point what uh, what you will do and what opportunities present themselves. There are opportunities to teach uh, back in the you know traditional K-12 classrooms, but there are also a great number of opportunities to teach for uh, uh, IFSI, which is Illinois Fire Service Institute out of U of I, the National Fire Academy, uh, junior colleges like Harper are always looking for uh, qualified instructors uh, nationwide. We always seem to see quite a few requests for that, so... My goal will be to see you know where where my kids land with their lives and see if we relocate and and decide from there. So that'll we'll see what happens when the time presents itself. There'll be a new a new path and it'll be a choice again. Yeah, I always got to figure things out as they as they come along. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you one like last question: What advice would you have for any high school student who is trying to figure out a path, uh, such as going to college, going to Harper? Um, maybe going directly into your career, what advice do you have as a seasoned veteran now? Uh, I would say for those still in high school, use that last year or that last semester to try a bunch of different classes. You know, maybe depending on your school, uh, what opportunities they, they have, grab a computer class, grab a tech class, grab a business class, grab an accounting class, even if it's just a semester that for high school, it's free, guys. Let's uh, let's figure it out while it doesn't cost you anything. Take uh, take the time and explore a little more. You know, you get your basics down. You got to have your math, your English, and your science. But uh, you know, maybe just try a class out of your comfort zone. Pick something that you know you you thought, boy, I've always liked that, or it always interests me. You know, so many things guide what we want to do for the rest of our lives. Is in in high school, I wanted to be a, a finance major and a stockbroker because I wanted to make a lot of money. And then I realized, number one, that's not always the case, and number two, the the lifestyle and how difficult that is, and the stress on that one. That's not so much fun, you know. So you have to look at all of the opportunities and decide what it is you want to do. And then sometimes you also have to look at it from the point of view of this is a job I like and I'm good at, and it provides me the opportunities to do other things because of that job. So maybe it's not the, you know, the perfect job, but it allows you the opportunity to travel and explore and do other things. So you can't be on vacation for your whole life. You got to have some way to fund that vacation, but people still seem to do it. The but what it all boils down to is you need a job that makes you happy. And if you're not happy with what you're doing, don't be afraid to step out and, and change it up a little bit. And that's pretty much what I did with teaching. Although I was good at it, I was providing for my family and, you know, growing up and doing things. But as I was teaching, I just was, was still pulled back to the fire service. It's almost like, you know, they, they say it's a calling and it was, 
the opportunity showed up at a time that made me question my path and it certainly has made all the difference. That's great advice. Definitely follow something that seems like uh, seems like a passion for you. It seems like a seems like a calling. I think it's fantastic advice for people. And uh, you, to- you might not make as much money as other jobs, but believe me, if you're miserable, no amount of money is going to make up the difference of coming home and feeling awful and not happy every day. So. That's right. You know, my, my dad is uh, 74 years old and he's still working full time. And I ask him, you know, dad, are you going to retire? And he goes, I like my job. I like what I do. I like the people I work with. I don't see any reason to retire. And I'm like, okay, pal. <laughs> That's uh, the gymnastics coach that my daughter worked with uh, uh, out here in Crystal Lake. And as he said, he sort of retired as he said it, he actually sold the business side of the gymnastics gym and just coaches at his age. Cause he's still, he said to me doing what I love to do is retirement. And it was the working with the kids and spending that time. What he always didn't like to do was the office work and paying the bills and making the payroll and following the insurance. So his retirement was to sell off the business and just continue coaching. So again, got back to where he was passionate and happy and that's what he got to do. Well, Joe, I want to thank you so much for the great life advice that you've given uh, here and to uh, potential students and friends and alumni of Harper College. It's fantastic. And I want to thank you for your 20 years of service uh, to the Elk Grove community and to the greater community here in our area serving in the fire department. Uh, we, We can't thank you enough for the work that you do and to thank the other firefighters for the work that they do as well. Certainly. It's, it's been our pleasure. Have a great day, Joe. Thanks for being on the show. Okay. Take care. Thanks again. Thanks. Bye-bye. Harper Talks is a co-production of Harper College Alumni Relations and WHCM Harper Radio. Our show is produced by Shannon Hines. Our technical producer is Eric Bonilla-Sanchez. Our theme music was created by Aiden Cashman. I'm Brian Shelton. Thanks for listening. <laughs>